0: Father, we come before you today. We hope that our worship, our ministry to you is acceptable, that it was pleasing to you. Father, now we turn our attention to what you minister to us, what you have to download into our spirits. God, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you for the many times that we didn't see you working yet, At the end of the day, you were there. God, we're just so grateful today. Our heart is overflowing for a God who knows us, a God who sees us. God, we praise you for all of your works. God, we praise you for the foundations of the earth were established so that men may be able to come into relationship with you. Father, we praise you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sin. God, we praise you because there is no one above you. There is no one before you, there is no one beside you, God, we praise you. For you, oh God, are a strong tower, we praise you this morning. God, I ask that Holy Spirit would enter the room, step into this moment, that we would encounter the manifest presence of God today. God, we know that Holy Spirit is everywhere at all times because you are omnipresent, But God, we see in scripture, there have been moments where like a dove, the spirit rests and alights on someone's shoulder. So we ask for a manifestation today. Beyond the omnipresence, we ask for an encounter with you. We ask to see your glory. Anyone in the room that is sick, we step into the healing power of Jesus Anyone in the room that is struggling in their marriage, we step into the reconciliation power of Jesus. Anyone that is in the room struggling with unbelief, God, we ask that you would make yourself known to them in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh God, draw me close to you today. Your word tells me that as I draw close to you, you will step in close to me. So God, let's let's meet somewhere today. Let my heart posture be one of hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for holiness to be set apart for your good pleasure. God, I want to meet with you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God is calling you this morning to be more than a recipient of ministry, more than just a receptacle of all the good stuff that's being poured out today. I know it's nice to come to church and to receive good, solid ministry, but today God is calling you to be more than a spectator of service. Can I get a good amen? Amen. He has called you to be ministers of his grace. He's called you to be ministers of His grace. <laughs> I, I think that any church experience that doesn't place a demand on that calling for you to be a minister of God's grace will ultimately. It will ultimately cripple you with complacency. It will ultimately bore you with dissatisfaction. It will. Ultimately cause you to become stale in the presence of God if you're showing up the church just to receive whatever it is that the team has prepared for you. Because you, friends, are called to be a minister of God's grace. God had an agenda for you when you got up this morning and you were getting dressed and ready for church and you were on your way here. You didn't know, but God already had a checklist of what He wanted you to accomplish on campus at the Exchange Church because you are a minister of God's. Grace, I am convinced that God does not want us to be okay with the status quo. I am more now than ever convinced that it's not all right just to tread water. We, We did that for a number of years during COVID. I think every church did that. I think every family did that. We were trying desperately to keep our noses above water. We've all been there. But God has called us to something more than just treading Water, you see, you were created for power, for glory, for victory, for action. I was reading a paper this week from Andrew Jukes, and I want to read a quote that he said. I thought it was amazing. He says this, The low standard of truth in the church, making the possession of eternal life the end, instead of the beginning of the Christian course, has led many to think that if they have or can at least obtain this life, that it is enough. But these are not God's thoughts. Getting saved, let me just translate that, getting saved and securing eternal life is not the end goal. It's your starting point. I know, we've, we've, we thought that was the big crescendo to this Christian life that we're living. I'm I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. Okay, what's next? Because you weren't called just to receive eternal salvation. You were called to be a minister of God's grace. I love what Andrew Jukes said in his writing and his assessment of the global church um, because I think I think the global church is lovely and beautiful. And I I will never bash the bride of Jesus. Um, I think she is is wonderful. It is God's plan A for the world. There is no plan B. God came to establish the church. He's building the church. He died for the church. But the truth is, the church can be a little anemic, a little weak. And I think Andrew Jukes was saying that when he said the, the low standard of truth in the church. Um, I, that really resonated with me because I feel like on some level we have some weak-sauce Christianity going around. I'm not pointing at other churches. I'm pointing at us. Pointing at me. But the thing that really arrested me with this quote from Andrew Jukes is that he wrote it in 1847. You, You thought he wrote it in 2022, didn't you? 1847, so almost 180 years ago... The leaders of the church, the the thought shapers of the church felt like the church was being weak. This is not a new phenomenon. You're not fighting against current culture. You're fighting against the strategy of the enemy to weaken the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, to walk in something less than what God called you to walk in. Now, my goal is to Help you and I break out of that. Because for the last 2,000 years, we've been being spoon-fed and malnourished or undernourished. And listen, friends, it is time for us to beat those spoons into swords and to wake up and be all that God has called us to be. I'm calling you into service today. I'm calling you to... Be a part of the plan that God has for this world. You actually have a part to play in God's plan. And in order for you to play the part that God has for you, you must learn to worship. Worship is not optional. To be all that God has called you to be, you must learn to worship. And when people don't know how to worship, uh, much of what is accomplished in our life it's done through striving of the flesh rather than the power of the Holy Ghost well oh, I just said Holy Ghost and said holy Spirit if I'm if I start preaching Holy Ghost you know we're about to get real <laughs> I'm beginning a series today on worship and I I spent a good hour trying to formulate a good series, title, because I think titles are important. And I came up with this, worship. I know, that's an hour I can't get back in my time. I really did. I, I was looking at what other churches were doing. I, the thing is, is nothing, nothing captured the heart of what I feel like God is taking us into in these four weeks. Uh, you can call it worship. You can call the series whatever you want. You can call it war, war ship. You can call it worth ship. You can call it worship. I don't, I don't care the title. I just want you to know that this is the year that we connect deeply with God. Right. This is the year that you're connecting more deeply with God than ever before. And it's my responsibility to help get you there. As your pastor walking alongside you in this journey, it's my responsibility. It's the mandate from heaven for me to help you connect more deeply with God. And this series, quite honestly, has the potential to change your entire life. If you could really get a hold of what worship is, authentic worship, genuine worship, real worship, it will change your marriage, it will change your self-image, it will change your finances. It will change your home. And, and good grief, if I could get a lot of our church to commit to coming every Sunday for the next four weeks in this series, because it's it's going to be deeper than you think. I'm not just going to tell you about clapping hands and what it means to raise your hands. We're going deep in this thing. We're going to go really deep. And if I could just maybe get the church to commit to being here every Sunday for the next Four weeks. I think that this series can radically transform the worship of our church. I believe in this series so much, actually, that I've asked our worship team, anyone that steps foot on this platform, to be here all four weeks. To to make a commitment, sit up close, bring your journal, bring your pen, lean in, because I believe that worship is going to transform our life. Are you with me? Now, this series is going to be a lot like riding a jet ski, while wearing scuba gear equipment and holding on to snorkel gear. Okay, can you picture that? Riding a jet ski on the open ocean in a scuba outfit while holding snorkel equipment. Because worship is a large topic. It's very big. Uh, so we're going to use the jet ski to to maneuver and get around to the various coves and the various bays. Sometimes we're going to jump in the water and do a little snorkeling and just look sur- just beneath the surface and I don't know if you've ever been snorkeling in Cancun, but when you put that mass down in the water, it it comes alive. So many colorful, beautiful fish, and just like six inches above, you had not even known that world existed. So we're gonna do some snorkeling regarding worship. Let me just give you a preview of our snorkeling trips. On our snorkeling trips, when we look just beneath the surface, we're gonna answer some questions like this: Does my expression of worship intersect with my personality? Do I have to clap and sing for it to be worship? Well, what about lifting my hands? Do I have to do the, the touchdown? Or can I just do the hold the baby? We're going to answer that in this series. Uh, another question we're going to answer is, should the worship team practice their skill and grow in excellence? Does an occasional off note from a singer, keyboard player, or guitarist really matter? The Bible actually speaks to that. We're going to address it. Is the goal of praise and worship to prepare people's hearts to receive the word? We're going to answer that. Spoiler alert, that's a big myth in church history that we've taught our people that praise and worship is just, it's like uh, the appetizer before the main course meal. It's just the warm-up. That's actually not biblical at all. We'll set the record straight when we get there. Um, Another question under the surface is, how does my late arrival affect the corporate flow of worship in the room? We're going to talk about that. Um, And does my participation impact what God decides to do in the room? We're going to talk about, oh, that's, yeah, wait till we get there. Uh, Another one is, how is it that two people can be in the same worship experience and one of them feels nothing while the other thinks it's amazing? We're going to talk about that. Those are some some pretty good snorkel adventures, don't you think? Uh, That's just a few of them. We're going to pop down to explore worship, but then we've got some scuba diving. We're going to jump in with our scuba gear and, and dive down several hundred feet on the topic as well. Um, we're going to talk about the various Greek and Hebrew words for worship, and what does that look like in the context of a church service. It's really good. Um, listen, by the way, just so that you know, there was a, a shift in in preaching. I don't know. I'm too young to know when this happened. Uh, maybe it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, probably mid-90s when praise and worship became cool. Um, there, there was a shift about in the 90s where we started teaching that worship was about your life and everything you do outside of there is worship and how you work is worship and how you parent is worship. You've heard this, right? You've heard this here at the Exchange Church. Is that right? And that is true. And I don't want to minimize that. But this series, we're focusing back into the corporate worship experience, the encounter where God has set on his calendar to meet you here this morning. All right, so keep all of those things in your pocket. Yes, that's worship, but we're actually talking about what does it look like in the context of this room so that when we show up to worship, we can actually receive all that God has for us in that encounter. All right, we're going to dive deep on uh, using biblical theology and systematic theology. Those are big, you know, Bible words um, that helps us understand God's design for worship. We're going to look at the tabernacle of Moses and see how God intended for it to guide our worship within the New Testament church. Yes, there is a way to approach God. And if we don't know that, our worship is crippled. So I'm hoping in this series, you understand why it's important and why I want you here, because this first sermon is almost my intro for the entire series. Okay. I'm going to, we're going to put on the scuba gear. We're going to Jump down deep really quick today, and then I'm going to bring you back up for air really quick so that you'll come back next week, all right? Today is a scuba day, and the title of my sermon is Kingdom of Priests. Kingdom of Priests. To lay the foundation of worship, we have to really first talk about why it matters to you personally. Why does worship even matter? To you, Maybe you got saved, maybe you got introduced to Jesus and you just showed up at church and you just, that's how it's always been. There's music going on when you come in, there's maybe lights, sometimes there's smoke, sometimes there's too much smoke. Sometimes the music is loud, sometimes it's too loud, sometimes it's not loud enough. And you just think, oh, this is what praise and worship is. And you've never really gotten the context biblically of worship, of what worship is but to understand what worship is, you first have to understand who you are. So we're going to go there first. All right. So it may feel a bit like I've taken a detour today in the, in the topic of worship. But stay with me. We're going somewhere. OK. Are you going to stay with me? OK. If water gets in your mask, you just blow and it gets out and then you can breathe again. OK. That's a scuba reference. Learning how to worship a king, and I use the word learning on purpose, because learning to worship a king is something that we learn. You weren't born with the knowledge of how to worship a king, it's, it's taught, much like you teach your kids manners at the table, how to, how to chew your food without showing company, how to pick up after yourself, how to rinse your, your dish off after the ranch sauce has covered everything, like, Worship is learned. It's a learned behavior. Um, and our identity matters because our identity is the primary motivation for everything that we do. Every decision that you've made this week was motivated by who you believe that you are. So if I'm talking about worship and I'm, I'm lighting a fire in worship, I, I can't just talk about the king. I first got to help us understand who we are because I'm not just doing a behavior modification class. I got a minor in psychology and that's just enough for me to damage people really bad. <laughs> so I got to go the scriptural route. And that route is first we have to know who we are. We can't even step into worship until we know who we are. I'll give you an example. I you may have noticed, you may not have noticed, but I've lost some weight. Lost about, thank you, Paul. Um, I've lost maybe 27 pounds. Oh, it took a number to get some affirmation. Okay, okay. Um, it's taken me a while. I, I'm working out every single day. Well, you know, I have a, a rotation, so maybe six days out of seven. I'm eating the right foods. I'm tracking everything that goes into my mouth, which really stinks. I don't necessarily enjoy it, uh, but I have goals. I want to be healthy. I've got, I've, you know, I'm, I'm growing with some grandkids now, so I, I want to be around for a while. I'll, I'm tired of not being able to move and be as flexible as I want. I'm tired of my knees and my feet. You know what I mean? I've got some goals, so to get where I want to go, I've got to change who I am, and I've been going to different places where they're offering some really good food. And I choose not what the old tray would want. I choose what the new tray wants because I'm fit. I'm fit now, y'all. I'm fit. Now, I tell you, I had to teach myself to believe that I'm fit before my eating habits ever changed. Because as long as I just looked at the food and it was self-like will of me trying to force myself to not eat something, the draw, the attraction, it was magnetic. I had to have it. Now, I'm not acting like I never eat anything bad. The truth is, two nights ago at 2 a.m. in the morning, I had some of Carrie's brownies. So it happens. But I'm fit. And, And when I'm fit, my desires have changed. My processes have changed. I've learned some things. I've learned that I can't outrun a poor diet. I can't spend hours in the gym and overcome all the enchiladas. If I want to be well, I have to change that because I'm fit. Do you you see how who I am matters? Who you are matters. You're pure. You have a pure heart. That's why that computer's not drawing you. That's why that temptation is not drawing you. You have a a pure heart before the Lord. You're, You're seeking his face. That's what you're hungry for. That's what you're thirsty for. That's who you are. We've got to get an idea of our identity. Another example, a person who identifies as a guitarist will pursue endeavors, I assume, that will lead to success in guitarism, right? If they believe that they're a guitarist, they're going to try to get success and promotion as a guitarist. And then you tell them on on the team that they're not good enough to play on platform for Sunday. And suddenly they feel massive rejection. But I'm a guitarist. That's who I am. That's what I do. I don't understand. Am I missing it? It makes no sense to me. You see, their view of themselves, their identity as a guitarist creates many layers of emotions and ripples in their life because they believe they are something that potentially they're not. Our worship and our identity is often informed and shaped by one common myth. My goal is to get you to uproot this myth in your life. The myth is this. My function determines my identity. I play a guitar, so I must be a guitarist. I sing, so I must be a worship leader. If I can play baseball, I must be a... If I can write, I must be a... If I can cook, I must be a... Some of you say cooker. (laughs) The question is, are you a fast one or a slow cooker? (laughs) If my function determines my identity, then I'm going to have serious issues with anyone that prevents me from doing that craft or that skill that I think defines who I am. And people leave churches all the time because they can't see the gift they think they have been called to. And when their function determines their identity, they get a confused view of their purpose. This applies in so many ways. Anyone that's ever sent your kids off and gone through empty nest syndrome and you had been identifying yourself as a mother or a father and suddenly you're not telling them to pick up their socks anymore. You're not telling them to pick up their dishes. Your identity can get really small if it's wrapped in your function. But what we do does not determine who we are. Ultimately, we get really messed up religious views from this. So to offer proper worship to a triune God, we got to do some self-correcting here. We got to do some manipulation on who we see ourselves to be. Here's an example. How many of you want to be used by God? All across the room. Keep your hands. Just wave. Just... You want to be used by God? Great, great. Do You want to be used by your spouse? Do you want to be used by your kids? Do you want to be used by your your friends? Do you want to be used by the church? Do you want to be used by the government? I'm guessing you said you wanted to be used by God, but you you said no to all the others. I'm, I'm guessing, right? Yes, I want to be used by God, but no, I don't want to be used by all of these things. Why do you want to be used by God? You don't know it, but that's a religious spirit. I know it felt right. And it felt holy. And it, there's something in you is like, I just, and I've prayed those prayers to God. Use me. Just use me. I want to be a tool for you. Just use me. But that, my friends, is a religious spirit. God didn't create you so that he could use you. He created you so that he could know you. And so that you could know him and you could be known by him. God used Pharaoh He knew Moses. God used Saul, but he knew David. He used Judas, but he knew Jesus. You don't want to be used by God. You want to be known by God. This is the God that we worship. Religion teaches us to view ourselves as tools. And if we perform well, if we make the cut, if we get the title, if we have the position, then we are pleasing and useful to God. But here's the problem with being a tool. When my hammer breaks, what good is it? Tools are disposable. People are not. God didn't die so that you could be a handy tool. He died so that he could know you so that you could be known by him, so that you could know him. Religion teaches us that our function, what we do, the gift that we carry, the thing that we have, determines our worth and our identity. Religion says, I am because I do. So everyone who said, God, God use me, I just want to be used. Even if he used you more than you're being used now, you would be no more valuable to him than you currently are because what you do does not determine who you are worship though teaches us that our identity determines our worth and our function worship says i do because i am i I'm trying, i do because i am i eat healthy because i'm fit I walk in wholeness because God is a God of wholeness. I'm not looking at what I do to determine my worth, my identity, my value. I'm looking at who God says that I am, and that determines how I live and what I do. God actually determines our identity. Isn't it amazing that the enemy spends so much effort trying to get us all to believe that we have a say in who we are? We have a a say in who we identify as. God has already identified you. If you're a believer in Jesus, here's who God says you are. He says you are a child of God in John one twelve. He says you're a friend of God in John 15.15. He says you're more than a conqueror in Romans eighteen You're chosen and dearly loved, Colossians 3.12. You're a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. You are redeemed, Galatians 3.13. You're a saint. Ephesians 1.8 and Revelation 1.6 says that we are kings and priests. And I just want to reclaim part of your identity that has been stolen from you centuries ago. And this has handicapped our worship. All believers in the room and watching online, all believers, every saved one of us are priests of the Most High God. You are a priest. Can I show you in, in scripture? God is talking to Moses on Mount Sinai and wants Moses to relay a message to the Israelites in Exodus 19 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. And a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses is on Mount Sinai and God says, you go tell the people that they are a kingdom of priests. Tell all of Israel they're a kingdom of priests. Did you know that God actually never intended for the priesthood to be restricted to a few people? He never intended for it to be restricted to the Levites, the priesthood. He originally called all of Israel to be an entire nation filled with priests so that they would go to the ends of the earth and teach them how to worship God. What happened? Something about a golden calf. Idolatry. Crazy stuff at the base of the mountain. Israel rejected God and their calling when they turned their back on him and turned back to their powerless Egyptian gods. And Moses came down from the mountain. And this is how we shift from all of Israel being priests to Levites. Exodus 32, 26-29. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp. He's, He's up. Upset. He came back to a party that was out of bounds, out of limits. Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? If any of you are on the Lord's side, come to me. And he said to them, oh, and the sons of Levi gathered around him. So out of all of those people, the only people who were on the Lord's side and came to Moses were the sons of Levi. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. In that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. In Numbers chapter 1, God gives the ministry of the tabernacle to the Levites because they were devoted to his holiness. They were set apart. So we see how the priesthood goes from all of Israel to now the Levites, but how does the priesthood get to you? First, only Jews could be priests, then the Levites from Aaron's family. Then the early Roman Catholic Church determined that only they could ordain priests, and every denomination after followed suit. And generation after generation, there has been a growing gap from the pulpit to the pew. People show up the church to receive ministry from someone in a place where they just feel this big distance. And the enemy has convinced all of us that somehow this is the priesthood, and this is consuming, this is receiving, this is breakthrough, this is getting what I need. No, 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 no. God is wanting to shift the priesthood from the pulpit to the pews. You are a priest, First Peter chapter 2. Peter's talking to Christians. That means you. He's talking to you. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a priest. Who are you? I'm a priest. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. I know that sounds intimidating. You're thinking, I know nothing about priesting. But since identity determines function, you have some exciting things in store for you as a priest. Here's a summary of what priests do. Priests are meant to worship God and help other people worship God. You are a priest, so what is your job? To worship God and help other people worship God. Now, as a priest... We already talked about the first part of the job description. The Levites had to take care of the tabernacle. You remember I said that Levites had to take care of the tabernacle. And this is a big deal. It's in Numbers chapter 1. They had to set up, tear down, transport, guard, and attend the ministry of the tabernacle. Basically a priest's job was to set up the place where God and people came together to meet. Priests, steward meeting places. Priests, steward meeting places. As a priest, you are ordained to carry a meeting place with you. First Peter, we read earlier, says that you're being built into a spiritual house. That's because we don't have to set up and tear down a tabernacle anymore. You're it. You are the temple. You are the meeting place where God wants to meet with man. Your job as a priest is to steward the house, the meeting place, where God wants to meet with man. you are a walking, breathing tabernacle. And everywhere you go becomes a spot where people can meet with God. It's important that you know you're a priest. Because only priests can steward the tabernacle. Not plumbers, not politicians, not pianists, not preachers, not pastors, not police, not paramedics, not park rangers, not pilots, not project managers, not programmers. Only priest, steward, meeting places. So for you to worship God and help other people worship God, you must first understand that you are a priest. So get ready. Because once you embrace your identity as a priest, God is going to open up opportunities for you to host meetings between him and other people. Next week, we're going to look at the three major responsibilities in your job description as a priest. Who are you? When you're getting ready for church next week, I want you to wake up early because the priest can't be late to the house that they steward. So, get here early because worship is not the warm up. We'll talk more about what worship is later, but come early. While you're getting ready in your bathroom, look in your mirror and do this, Alphany. Say, Who am I? I'm a priest. Can you do that, Melissa? Who am I? I'm a priest. Trudy, who are you? Pedro, who are you? Can you say it in Spanish? Oh, man, that sounds powerful. Look in the mirror and say, I'm a priest. I need to go steward the meeting place of God and men. And I want you to come ready for worship, and I want you to lean in. And I want you to attribute... All the worth that God is to Him. Because worship's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. Worship is all about Him. It's not what you think of the song. It's not if you feel the vibe or not. It's not if the music is too soft or too loud, too fast or too slow, if the singer is off key or the piano hits the wrong note. Worship is about Him. And the moment we make worship about us, we have elevated ourselves to God's status. So, you're going to show up early because worship creates an atmosphere for the manifestation of God. Father, we worship you today. Father, we are priests. You came to establish a kingdom of priests. The role has been called, and we're here to say, Count me in. Let me be a priest that ministers to your heart, God. That everywhere I step, kingdom flows, the presence of God flows, encounters, meeting places are established. Because we don't set up tabernacles with our hands anymore. We establish them with our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in the room? make space this morning for you to step into a new dimension of worship. I know that we went down deep to talk about priesthood and I've not really laid out what worship is, what it looks like, how to do it but you sense that God is just drawing you to something deeper in your expression of worship. I'm going to give you space to do that right now. Maybe you're going to stand on your feet. Maybe you're going to lift your hands. Maybe you've never lifted your hands before. Maybe you're going to kneel. We just want to create space. Not to create a moment, but to give room for Holy Spirit to speak to you, to empower you, to release you to be a priest. how can you minister to him? you've done or what you can do or what you're going to do but because of who you are god you are holy you are set apart there's no one like you you are a god of justice you are righteous in your judgment you are a god of mercy you're a god of compassion a god of love i worship you of Revelation talks about the throne room of heaven it's not an allegory it's not a story book or fairy tale right now as we're leaning into the presence of God as you're sitting here there is a throne room in heaven and there are four creatures around the throne that are shouting Holy 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 So when we step into authentic worship here's what happens There is a a shortening of the awareness between where we are and the throne room of heaven It's almost like our spidey senses are translated to the throne room and we encounter for a moment what all the creatures and the angels are doing in heaven they're glorifying him they're saying hallelujah, they're saying holy, as we lean into the presence of God we get a glimpse of that here on earth and when that happens it's not uncommon for healings to manifest, healings that you're not even praying for, eyesight to be restored, anxiety to be relieved will you stand your feet? your job to worship God and so next week I want you to come with your priest robe on and be ready for fresh encounters prepare your heart as a priest we're going to go deeper it's another scuba day we're going to go deep in the word, in theology, systematic theology. We're going to talk about the tabernacle, but we're also going to devote time at the end of service just for this. So if you have any sick friends, sick neighbors, bring them. God is, COVID has taught us don't come to church when you're sick, but the Bible says if you're sick, let the elders of the church lay hands on you so that you may recover. And so bring people that need healing from God next week and come ready to encounter Jesus. Also, November 9th is a worship night. We're going to worship. That will be three weeks into this series. So you're going to have a very, very solid grip on what worship is. And we are going to worship the heck out of this place, okay? And so I want you to be here. It's on a Wednesday night, November 9th. We're going to have worship and Holy Ghost Encounter. We'll see you next week. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to step into the priesthood. God, I ask that you would go with us. God, that we would walk in the blessing that you have ordained for us to walk in. God, go with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all the priests say amen. Amen. Take what you received in here and give it to someone out there. God bless you.